Hello, and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. Lindsay, I hear you've got, uh, some voyages for us. Yep. Uh, today we are going to where no, uh... Nyarf episode has gone before. We are going to Star Trek. Yay! <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just going to preface this by saying that a lot of my idea- my ideas have already been used by Star Trek series. <laughs> and I was like, fuck! The entire fucking time! But you know what? Fuck it, why not? We'll do it better. Yeah. So, uh, I haven't really got a name for this Star Trek spinoff. Um, but I do have a premise. Okay. And we could probably workshop a name for this because generally the series goes like Star Trek, um, the ship's name. Yeah. Um, I, sh- I should preface this by saying that my familiarity with Star Trek is very little. Probably more than I realize, but I've never seen an episode. Um, I just know a lot of concepts. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't say that I've watched a lot of Star Trek. I have seen the J.J. Abrams movies. Um, I think I have seen Wrath of Khan, but that was way back in the day. And I did watch at least a few episodes from uh, Voyager, because I remember those used to be in syndication on space. So yeah, most of my knowledge about Star Trek is gleaned by usually reviews like SF Debris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that man does really great episode by episode reviews, so. Oh, yeah. I have definitely heard that. Uh, I think most of my knowledge comes from Tumblr. I think a lot of people I follow on social media are big into Star Trek, and I just never fell into that, but I've absorbed a lot through osmosis. Yeah. Um, and then also Alison Pregler on YouTube. She also does reviews, but yeah. they're a lot more jokey and tongue in cheek, and usually she's pointing out when Voyager is doing something really dumb. Yeah. Like, SF Debris is also fairly jokey and snarky at times. But yeah, um, his are a bit more like, do I recommend you watch this show? Is this necessary to watch to understand the series? Or is this just something that you could like take it or leave it? Mm-hmm. And also on a scale of good to bad. Yeah, I have a passing familiarity with everything except for Discovery and Enterprise. Discovery, just because since it's newer, it hasn't kind of passed into the pop culture as well yet. Yeah. And Enterprise, just because it's the bad one, so no one talks about it. <laughs> Yeah, everybody uh, likes to pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> I know two things. Oh, okay. I know two and a half things about Enterprise. I know Scott Bakula's in it, and he has a dog, and the dog usually gets more screen time than half the cast. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're coming at this from Star Trek novices, but anyway, here's my premise. And I'm sorry if you've heard this one before, but basically, <laughs> a Federation ship that I'm calling the USS Tupaya is uh, gonna. It was planned to go into the Gamma Quadrant to do some, you know, missions regarding... This is if you want... You know what? Trekkies are going to know what this is. So during Deep Space Nine, there was a big war. And basically the entire idea of this mission was just to go in, do some treaty enforcement stuff, come back. No more than a year. They're they're not even bringing their families with them, which is like pretty normal for a uh, Starfleet-like expedition. Because they're going to be going for such a long time that they bring their families with them. Mm-hmm. So, at the Deep Space Nine base, 
there is a wormhole that can get you from the Alpha Quadrant to the Gamma Quadrant. Pretty normal stuff. Is it? Okay, hang on. I gotta ask. Isn't which quadrant did Voyager get stuck in? Uh, Delta, which is where we're gonna go to, but we're not gonna go to the same places. Okay. <laughs> and so I chose the Delta Quadrant because this is canonically the least explored area of the, of the galaxy. So is this just the Voyager, but with a better premise and better characters? Yeah, and also taking some stuff from Lower Decks, because I do like the premise of not focusing on the bridge all the time. I have I have heard some people say that Lower Decks is actually the best Star Trek. Yeah, like I've heard uh, mixed to good. And I think part of it is just like this is his first season, so it's still trying to find its sea legs, so... It's it's kind of I, like I heard from longtime Star Trek fans that they like Lower Decks because it's not trying to be this big, heady, like galaxy brain level show like so much of Star Trek managed to be like through almost not necessarily by chance, but like they earned it. Yeah. And a lot of uh, modern Trek try to start from that point, whereas Lower Decks is just look at this big universe. Let's just play around in it. Yeah. Which is kind of the same kind of way you want to approach Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But, it's di- but it's different. Yeah. Lower Decks is the Mandalorian of Star Trek. You know what? They're both science fantasy, but I'm gonna say Star Wars just lead- does lean more into the fantasy side of the yeah. science fantasy. Star Wars doesn't care about the science beyond set dressing. Star Trek at yeah. least tries to put some techno babble in. Yeah. And they do play around with some interesting scientific ideas. Now, we are in a universe that has long since passed the Fermi paradox, where we're asking, hey, is anybody out there? <laughs> I, I don't think we can say that we're past the Fermi Paradox on account of it's very large I mean right now in the Star Trek universe oh, okay. they know that life's out there and that is fairly sophisticated oh right yes yeah so in this case the entire idea is that they were going to go to point A instead they wind up in point B and point B I decided is one of the furthest arms of our fucking galaxy <laughs> So, so to, yeah, to they the are point way lost. Like, to the point where, like, some of it is, like, the chunks of the Delta Quadrant, some of it is just the void. Yeah. And also, I would imagine, like, there's some of the bit rougher sides of, you know, space-forming stuff going on on that on the edges. Quasars. Quasars and pulsars and asteroids and... White holes. Gas clouds and all that sort of fun stuff. Negative space wedgies. <laughs> and yeah the the main characters aren't going to be the bridge crew and we're definitely not really going to be interacting with the captain all that often we are instead going to be focusing more on the people who would be actually doing the landing parties in a more realistic scenario than having your fucking captain your chief surgeon and your chief med- <laughs> science officer go down. Oh yeah, and the chief engineer. Why not throw them too? <laughs> <laughs> and one red shirt that we can use as a meat shield. <laughs> yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, thank God for a chain of command. But even then, you are rolling the dice, people. All the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. so yeah like i consulted my dad on this a bit going like okay who would actually be on your landing party or your boarding party and what actually happens when a ship gets lost because my dad's in the navy so i haven't actually like really gone beyond like 
what the person's job is because another thing I want to do is fill it out with, you know, more non-human characters. Nice. Because I also think a big problem with Star Trek, even though there are alien main characters and a lot of aliens are there and they have very important roles, it's still, like, the main character is always a human, pretty much. It's like, can we, you know, not? So, yeah, we're going to have the lieutenant who's in charge of the landing team. We got, there too I see a subby, a sub-lieutenant. There's a petty officer, second class. There's usually a master seaman. And then there are uh, four to five killicks, usually made up of bosuns, stokers, a comms person, and a medic. I was also thinking of maybe having like a secondary landing party team because there should be enough people for like multiple teams so that like not everybody is fucking exhausted all the time. And you're not fucked when something bad happens to your landing team. Okay. The main reason why I kind of left it at that, even though we could develop the characters in various interesting ways, is because, again, casting and wanting to have multiple non-human characters. Star Trek does like to use the Planet of Hats as shorthand for, oh, this is the main culture of the planet. All Klingons are like this. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I wouldn't mind having a couple Klingon on the ship, so yeah. They're a fun culture. Yeah. And then, like, other, maybe not main characters, but definitely frequently recurring, major secondary characters, basically, would be, like, one of the intelligence officers who's in charge of doing their briefings and then analyzing the information that they bring back from their landing missions. you got the engineer and the general engineering department. The navigations officer, because guess who's having to figure out how we fly through the void space? Or how we fly through these tricky areas and avoid the gas giant. Yeah. Or avoid being sucked into the gas giant, really. Yeah. Everybody, want to know why we're not regularly hit by asteroids? It's Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> Jupiter is our uh, big buff GF. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely the helmsman who actually has to do the flying. Um, the science officer, because they're going to find some really neat, interesting stuff. And maybe have focus episodes with various like people in the engineering department, people in the logistic department, etc. And then very rarely we're going to see the captain and the XO. Maybe there's some stuff about them, but they're not the main focus. So I will say this. So first off, it does kind of seem like... So this is obviously very Star Trek energy, but it also kind of seems like the initial idea for the West Wing, where it was going to focus predominantly on the cabinet and the president's staff and the president. Yeah. Like, the original rule was that we'd see the president four times a season at most. Yeah. Now, and here's the issue, is that quite often, the, the, like all the people you described that we would be looking at do work closely with, in this case, the captain. Also, if we get a too good an actor for the captain, people are going to want to see them all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm like, the captain shouldn't be the... Maybe they're causing a few more problems? Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, like, as I said, like this ship wasn't going to be on like this mega mission. It was just like a short little, you know, in-out sort of thing. Like, it's going to take a year, but... Like, that's nothing. That's honestly really nothing. Okay. So, so what if... This the... isn't, like, the Enterprise with the best captain. This is, right. like, they're an okay ship. For most situations. So, so what if the situation is that a majority of the crew is good, but the captain 
it was basically kicked upstairs to this. Like they, they were put yeah. on this mission to get them out of the way because they're causing problems for the Federation. And then when or they maybe get not even like they're causing problems for the Federation, maybe they're just like so middle of the road. It's like uh, you were like a filler, basically. Yeah. And it just so happens they're uh, not ready to rise up to the occasion. Yeah. Wouldn't necessarily be doing the all the diplomatic stuff anyways. It would probably be like a politician, a bigwig from the Federation that they're just shuttling through these systems, essentially. Yeah. But then when they end up at the edge of the Delta Quadrant, uh, that's when the captain can be like, oh, this is my time to shine. I'm going to be the greatest captain that the Federation has ever seen, and I will save this ship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah, they come down with a bad case of giant head. Yeah. Maybe the two I see is able to kind of keep them in line, because I I was kind of thinking about uh, AMC's uh, The Terror series, because the first episode was about the Franklin Expedition, and drawing from actual history, because it's all it, it was all based on real events, loosely based, because we don't know all the facts about what happened, because we only have two documents and a whole bunch of bones to go by, but what had happened uh, with the command structure of the Franklin expedition, it was fucked from the beginning. Because while Franklin had experience as a polar explorer, he had fucked up his previous mission and became known as the man who ate his own boots. <laughs> and his two IC, Francis Crozier, was probably the second most experienced polar explorer in Britain. He knew what the fuck to do. He was also like a real, he was a bit of a hard ass, but you kind of need a hard ass for a mission like going to the North Pole and trying to find the the Northwest Passage. Mm-hmm. But Crozier was barely, no, he wasn't even second in command. He was just in command of the Terror, which was the second ship sent. Like, there were two ships, the Erebus and the Terror. He was in charge of the of the Terror, the two I see was uh, James Fitzjames, who, while competent and a very brave man, he got the job because a higher-up person owed him their life, basically. So, yeah, like, the person in charge should not have been in charge, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe not even the... Maybe the two I see is trying their best, or the XO is trying their best to keep the captain from going to pointy hair boss. But even they're not fully qualified for the situation. Like, maybe someone else, like, maybe the Into or the Navo does have experience with deep space and navigating, like, weird spaces. But, of course, they're not in charge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking, like, the Into and the Navo are probably going to be the highest officers that the main characters are going to be interacting with. So there is still an intermediary between them and the captain. And that way we can still focus on our little plucky team yeah. of landing people who actually have to go into various hairy situations. Because like one of the things I wanted to bring up, like another thing that's influencing me is both 359. These guys, I'm thinking bit rough and tumble, but otherwise good characters. And competent at their job. But at the same time, funny and entertaining. But also, they're being thrown into wild-ass situations. And the reason why they're going to be so important is getting supplies for the ship. Yeah. Because, yeah, they got the replicators, but what happens when the replicators break down? 
they don't know how long it's going to take for the ship to get back to like a Starfleet outpost, let alone a proper station. So they have to maintain and repair this ship. And maybe one of the things that's happening over time is the ship kind of starts getting run down. And maybe she wasn't in the great shape in the greatest shape to begin with. Yeah, because again, this wasn't supposed to be a long mission. This yeah. could have been could have been her last one before being decommissioned. Because again, yeah. she she didn't need to hold up that long. Yeah, and maybe that's another reason why the captain was chosen. Oh, you're either getting close to retirement or like, hey, just it's called paying her off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> basically, my dad ended up being on a lot of last cruise of ships within the within the RCN. <laughs> Back in the 90s. Like, honestly, I was one of the... Um, I wasn't, like, the last kid, but I'm pretty sure I was near the end when it came to the kids who were baptized on Fraser. Hmm. I, and I am fully willing to uh, let that information out into the public because that bell is in the Maritime Museum in Halifax. Um, so, yeah, there's all that. There's all sorts of, like... <sighs> Like, we can come up with different scenarios. Like, I do want the ongoing thread, really two ongoing threads. Uh, basically, get back into contact and get home with all of the sub-themes of surviving this and problem-solving our situations. But also a thread of, why did this happen? Yeah. So, with Voyager, it was explained that there was some alien-related shenanigans and a device that got Voyager way off course. Maybe something like that happens, but also, like, maybe it could be a way to explore different intelligences in our galaxy at this point. Okay. Because, from what I understand of the Star Trek lore, at the galactic core, there is something in there that doesn't let anybody in. And it's sort of implied to kind of be where, like, a godhead is, kind of? It's implied that there might be more powerful, maybe not powerful is the right word, but like some sort of higher level beings within the Star Trek universe that exist within the galaxy in that maybe something like that is at play. Or maybe not. Maybe this was just a complete and utter accident. And, like, it's a reminder of how, like, even so advanced into the future, there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know about. So I guess the answer could be either a very sciencey answer, a science meets philosophy answer, or some sort of weird alien stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Which one do you like? I mean, it's Star Trek. It can kind of go both. One of the things about Star Trek, we were, so we were saying that they will throw some techno battle at something. But they're also they're very happy to say that there are these are these are these are life forms somewhere beyond our current understanding of how the universe works, which is a scientific way of saying hey sometimes we just find wizards. <laughs> yeah, and I mean like even from our standpoint, um, I I there's something I I very strongly believe is that um, if you say that we have all the answers to every question in the universe right the fuck now, you're fucking wrong. And then we're not asking the right questions. Yeah, that's one of the things I was toying with is like, how do we frame sentience? How do we frame intelligence? Are we asking the right questions about stuff? Because one of the approaches to the Fermi paradox, which we as a species are barely able to go to our own moon. And that's when we have the financial means and the will to do it. 
So, of course, we're asking, like, where's everybody else? Why haven't we gone into contact with any other intelligent life out there? And one of the ways to approach it is maybe maybe there's limits to our communication systems. Maybe some other life form has been picking up our signals, but because they don't use the same sort of... Um, we've been using radio waves, basically. What if they're using something completely different and we're just missing it? Yeah. So that's one way to approach it. Something that we don't even consider could be a language. Yeah. And like when we are looking for life, like there's actually quite a few different chemical combinations that can potentially create life as we understand it. But would we be able to recognize it as life? Like mm -hmm. say silica-based life forms, maybe they're indistinguishable from rock for us. So it's about trying to think outside of your box. Yeah. Yeah. Our characters are going to be faced with a lot of thinking outside the box situations, which leads me to another big theme in Star Wars or Star Trek. And one of the biggest points of contention amongst fans, the prime directive. Ah, yes. The prime directive. Yeah. So the biggest point of contention about the prime directive has always been how do we interact with different uh, alien life? with different civilizations, especially when there is a discrepancy between their technological level and our technological level. So I'm just going to give a shout out to our friend Serge and his recent video about uh, colonialism and the lost world genre. Because generally how the problem with the Prime Directive is framed has always been like these ethical questions of um, usually it's a technologically less developed civilization is in danger of some sort of existential threat like extinction level events war whatever so people break the rules by like picking a side or helping out or whatever so going off of Serge's video about colonialism I want to put the characters into situations where say they go to a planet regardless of technological level but it has resources that the Tupaya needs to continue on its journey and said resources would be beneficial to the Federation. Like, say, there's a planet with an abundance of dilithium crystals. Yes, those things. <laughs> mm -hmm. The things that make the warp drive work, that seem to make everything work. Let's say that they encounter a uh, planet that has about, like, our level of technology. Like, they've only had spaceflight for maybe a couple decades by our reckoning? Well, if they have spaceflight, I think the Federation is like, as soon as you get spaceflight, then we're going to start visiting you. Yeah. Because I think that's the idea, like, that was the idea of the Prime Directive, both in and out of universe, is that we, uh, there needs to be something preventing a ship from going in and just starting the colonization process all over again. Yeah. But then the problem with, like, Tupaya is that she need supplies and maybe they're encountering civilizations that maybe haven't gone to that point and it just so happens that that planet has what we need so then it becomes like it would have to be a stealth mission they would have to get in there without being noticed yeah but then maybe one of the problems from up above is maybe someone has a fuck the prime directive attitude because not everybody in starfleet agrees with it yeah i think a better idea for the fuck the prime directive attitude would be if they're like they're like examining a planet and it's not a spacefaring race yet, and maybe they are on the cusp of war or something, or there's some they can tell there's some kind of political upheaval, 
Yeah. And they like somebody wants to intervene. It's like if we don't intervene right now, they're going to destroy destroy themselves. And the argument is going to be, well, how do you know that? Why yeah. have you decided that you know exactly what the political machinations of this set of nations? Because again, it could be the person assuming that, oh, well, like if one political party on this planet is like this, then they all must be like this. Mm-hmm. There's that, and then maybe over or underestimating a planet's technological level too. Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of saying, oh, you backed the wrong faction and it was actually this other faction that was supposed to write. It's trying to say that you don't get to decide whether one is right or wrong and it's a matter of you need to let them sort it out for themselves because mm-hmm. intervening, you're, you're not going to intervene, you're not actually intervening on anyone's behalf. You're intervening to install your own political system regardless of whether it works for these people or not. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, how do we judge life forms? What is sentient and what is not sentient? Sometimes that line isn't as clear as you think it is. Yeah, they get hit by an asteroid, but it turns out that asteroid is pregnant. <laughs> I mean, Farscape had a had a pregnant ship, so anyway, we should probably like actually develop some characters for our main crew that we're going to be focusing on. And as I said, like I still want to adhere to uh, like almost blind casting, like just cast actors who are going to be good in the role regardless of appearance yes but also i want to have more alien or i shouldn't use non-humans as the main characters yeah well let's let's make a rule that um to avoid the princess and the frog situation Mm -hmm. that all the aliens are played by white people (laughs) or well no not even that because it's important to show diversity within the other species as well yeah but the the more the the more non-human ones. Yeah. Like, if, if your whole face is getting covered in... If you're a lizard person, you should be played by a white person. Yeah. But if you've just got, like, some funky eyebrows, then yeah. blind cast it. Yeah. If you're gonna be playing a Klingon, let's just do whoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the green skin a- alien babes. Yeah. Actually, I would push that it would be a good idea to have a non-white Klingon, because I think the only one was Tuvok. Well, I think they were a uh, meant to be a riff on the Soviet Union. Then they just became the pasty nerd race. No, the pasty nerd races are the Vulcans. Oh, right. I'm, I got them mixed up. I was t- I was trying to talk about the Vulcans. Okay. Nah, because the Klingon initially were like almost yellow peril. Yeah, with a bit of the red scare thrown in. Um, and now they're just the warrior race. Yeah. <laughs> I love how like Shakespeare was actually a Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, I think it would also be, like, a great way to flesh out some of the alien races a bit more, too. Because, generally speaking, the the different peoples that the Starfleet usually deal with are the Klingons, the Vulcans, the Romulans, and for Deep Space Nine, the Cardassians, the Bajorans... And the Borg, if you want to count. Yeah, yeah. I count them. This, okay, uh, chronologically, how long, like, where is this happening? Uh, this is going to be after, yeah, it's going to be after Deep Space Nine. I think it'll either be kind of concurrent with Voyager or just after Voyager. Okay, because I'm thinking if it's just after Voyager, we could even have, or even put it a little further past Voyager, we could have, like, recovered Borg as part of the crew. Yeah. 
Because if there's one thing I know about Voyager is that Seven of Nine was the best part of that show. Yes. <laughs> That's why they brought her back for Picard. Mm-hmm. And damn, she still looks great. Yeah. So yeah, we can have recovered Borg. Um, the Klingon are a lot more friendly at this point, so we can definitely have Klingon crew members. I wonder about the Romulans, because this isn't going to be taking place in the movie universe. Or the J.J. Abram movie universe, the Calvin timeline. Yeah, so the Romulans were just a little bit more aggressive Vulcans, essentially. Yeah, they embrace their emotions! <laughs> <laughs> we could potentially have, like, a couple of Bajorans, but also, like, there's been a few established uh, alien species since the beginning, since OG Star Trek, who barely get any sort of attention. Like, the Andorans who are blue and have the antenna. I think there's an Andorian on Discovery right now. Uh, see, the Andorians, they just look so goofy, though. Yeah, that's true. They look moderately better than the live-action Andalites from the Animorphs TV show. <laughs> Saru seems to be a pretty okay-received character, so maybe we could have more of his species in. Who? Uh, Captain Saru from, uh, Discovery. Oh, right. Yeah, he's played by Doug Jones. Yes. We could also just invent new ones as well. Yeah, easily. And also, um, one of the things that Discovery did introduce was someone who was a full-body cyborg. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, that character got killed off, but I think it would be really interesting to do. Mm -hmm. Because it was kind of a ghost in the shell kind of idea. Okay. Lieutenant Commander Ariam, uh, who's played uh, first by Sarah Midich and now by Hannah Cheeseman. They are the spore drive operations officer aboard Discovery and a cybernetically augmented human, human crew member. She looks like Bicentennial Man. Yeah, a little bit. So, given that Discovery is a prequel series... We could say that cyborgs by, say, when my series takes place would look vastly different. Yeah. A little more advanced looking, maybe even human looking. So basically data. Yeah, more like data. But they're, but formally human. Yeah. Either their brain or their consciousness is now in a cyborg body. Mm-hmm. Okay, not to crib too much from Wolf 359, but Hero was one of my favorite characters, so. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a Star Trek series being more AI-friendly. Yeah, well, I think, see, that's, <laughs> you mentioned earlier how a lot of your ideas were done by Star Trek, but I think, and like, uh, after Seven of Nine, the second most well-received character from Voyager would be the hologram doctor. Yeah. Um, so we could have something similar to that, uh, but maybe change it up. Maybe it's like the hologram, the emergency engineer hologram or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, like, actually that would be really useful for going into, like, uh, the more dangerous areas of the engine, let's say. And maybe there's some angst about expendability of the one hologram crew member. Yeah. What if the hologram crew member starts, uh, there's a mutual attraction between the hologram and the cyborg, and then some other people are like, well, that doesn't actually count because you're both robots. And they're like, but we can still feel... With an impassioned speech, and I will now quote Shakespeare at you, because this is Star Trek. <laughs> Captain Picard started the tradition, and we're gonna continue it. <laughs> but, like, I would like to see a few more 
aliens in Star Trek that are fairly alien looking. Yeah. The biggest problem with that is both like CGI and practical effects. And like if you are going to have like a person playing a very alien looking alien, I I can only imagine the prosthetic makeup. Yeah. Well, one thing with okay, so with Doctor Who, one of the recurring species are the Silurians and they're like lizard people. And it's generally accepted that special effects for reptiles is easier to pass off than special effects for mammals because it's easier to make realistic looking scales than it is realistic looking fur, whether it's via makeup or CGI. Like, that's why the dragons in Game of Thrones look so good, was because it's yeah. much easier to CGI a reptile than it is to CGI a mammal. Okay. And I also, I don't know if Star Trek has really had a more reptilian-esque race, except maybe the Cardassians, but, like, they didn't have scales, they just had, you know, funky foreheads. <sighs> I mean, there was the lizard alien that Kirk fought that one time. <laughs> well, maybe they've decided to join the Federation. <laughs> yeah. And heck, maybe they're one of the main characters. And then, if, if you want to get really weird... In Mass Effect, a game series which I have not played, but I have some passing familiarity with it, and I think Mass Effect does borrow a lot from Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but two of the... So their equivalent of Federation races are the Citadel races, and two of the Citadel races, one of them are the Hanar, which are basically floating jellyfish. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're just fl floating jellyfish with bioluminescence, and they're very peaceful and chill. Okay. Um... Although someone still managed to make an exploitation movie about them. Ugh. No, it was like, <laughs> there was a Hanar named Blasto, and he was kind of like Dirty Harry. Oh, okay. <laughs> but of course, it's completely against anything that anyone would know about Han uh, Hanar. Yeah. There's another very, like, very non-humanoid race. Was it the Elcor? Yes, okay, so the Elcor are massive creatures that stand on four muscular legs and no arms, um, and their language is mostly pheromone-based, oh. which means that when it's put through the Universal Translator, the, um, instead of like having any inflection or anything, it just states the emotion that it's trying to convey before saying the statement in complete monotone. Okay. <laughs> so it would be like, Genuine, I am so happy to see you. Thank goodness you have arrived. <laughs> But then it would it could also be like blatant lie. Your cooking is wonderful. <laughs> and then at some point you come across an Elcor that managed to hack their translator, but you can only oh, no. get so far. So it's like, hey, did you hack your translator so that you're able to lie? Sincerity so genuine it is bordering on ridiculous. How could you possibly say such a thing? I would never. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> So like yeah, we can we can get weird. We could stick a to stick a beholder in. Um hell, even even on the Orville, which is Seth MacFarlane's Star Trek parody, the one there's a lieutenant who is just a ball of slime. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I like it. So yeah. Like let's have Lizard Alien as one of the main characters, and then other characters can be I don't want to rip off Mass Effect and other shows too much, but we could definitely. At this have point, that I looks don't think more... it would be ripping off. I think it would just be like using them as touchstones, much like how yeah. other series have used Star Trek as a touchstone. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we introduce a, an alien race that looks vaguely like a praying mantis. Yeah. We could really justify anything. 
Heck, I even think um, Star Trek does have a silica-based species. Almost definitely. I think most sci-fi, if you haven't, if you haven't done a silica-based species yet, then you, what are you doing? You're sleeping. Yeah. yeah. Basically, we're going to need a lot of special effects makeup artists, I guess. Yeah, obviously. Which would also play into costume design. We're probably going to use something more along, along the lines of maybe like an updated version of the Voyager Deep Space Nine uniforms. But like when it comes to doing stuff planet side, like they're not always going to be on planets that are conducive to their physical requirements. Nah, just keep going to the BBC quarry. <laughs> I mean, according to Stargate, all planets look like just outside of the Vancouver metropolitan area. <laughs> it all looked like Stanley Park. But yeah, like, they should be thrown into situations where, like, we do have to design interesting habitational outfits, let's say. Yeah. If they can't really handle oxygen. Because, to be honest, um, our planet is kind of a death world for any potential other life form out there. Oxygen is highly flammable. Yeah. I think TV Trubs has it, or at least had an entire outline of how Earth is a fucking death world. Oh yeah, uh, that probably came from Tumblr, actually, because I know yeah. that was a hot, hot topic uh, during one year. Yeah, when well, we all realized that, no, humans are indeed the orcs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one human on this team is going to be the big guy of the team. Because if there's anything that we humans are good at, it's being stubborn, being hella hard to kill, and being fucking stupid. <laughs> you know, like Maybe the reason why uh, the Federation is very human-heavy is because they realize, oh yeah, humans can t go to damn near anywhere. Yeah. Fuck, humans might actually have the reputation of being the rats of the galaxy. I mean, honestly, rats can survive damn near anywhere. Okay, yeah, that's probably a terrible thing to say about our species, but oh well. Um, fuck, I should have developed characters, but I'm like, no, let's just, like, part of it is because I couldn't really think of who would be in what position without having cast these characters, because it's all about group dynamic. Yeah, like the, this is very much since we're it's uh, almost a whole cloth new thing. We can only really talk about the premise and what we'd like to see because if we, it's not worth going into all the nitty gritty details unless mm -hmm. we're actually making it. Yeah, yeah. So this is more like the broad strokes, big ideas with again a fairly sometimes fairly episodic, but with a couple of through lines that I would like to see develop into something a bit bigger, especially mm -hmm. like once we get more to figuring out why did this accident happen. Yeah. And also, like, the interesting aspects of trying to navigate through a relatively little explored area, something that my dad brought up was um, the helmsman might actually become a more important character than previously thought, Simba the Navo, because they're trying to find stuff that they recognize. So that, oh, okay, I know that planet. Okay, we can, we're on a good trajectory here. <laughs> We can hang a left at Albuquerque. <laughs> well, in a dramatic sense, like, um, spoilers for Wolf 359, but there was a one point when Eiffel gets stuck in an escape pod and has to find his way back to some sort of safety, I guess. Yeah. And, like, he is sending out messages 
and is trying to move in a direction, and it's pointed out to him later when he gets rescued, that he could have been going in the completely wrong direction mm-hmm. and had a very high chance of dying. So that's one of the biggest risks that the crew faces is like, are we even going the right way? Yeah. And then it's just, you know, group cohesion from then on. Because if you don't have a crew that can work together, even despite the issues with the command, none of y'all are going to survive. Especially as the issues with the, with the ships come keeps coming up. Also, something I forgot to mention. The name I pecked for our Starfleet ship. Tapaya. Yeah, I was wondering where that came from. Yeah. So most of the fleet, most of the ships that we see are either like named in a very British, in a very Royal Navy tradition of like the Enterprise and Voyager, or they're named off. Um, there was one called the Saratoga, which was kind of like the uh, canonical whipping boy of the series, which is <laughs> named after a place in the states. Um, Tupaya comes from a Polynesian wayfinder who had uh, been taken aboard by Captain Cook during his uh, one of his early voyages into the Pacific. And he's kind of like a bigger named Wayfinder. And I'm like, yeah, also the ship is lost and is trying to find their way back. Also, it's a nice break from the usual naming conventions for a lot of Starfleet ships. Yeah. Maybe it's part of the uh, smaller Hokulea uh, class. The Hokulea was a... It was an entire project to reinvigorate the wayfinding tradition in Hawaii. So, yeah. That's basically my entire reasoning. Honestly, ship naming is not that deep, but I thought it would be a nice shout out to a different sort of naval tradition or, yeah, the maritime tradition. And heck, it could play into how we name the series. Maybe we don't name it Tupaya, but maybe we name it Wayfinder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of eye-catching. And yes, I know that Voyager has done Lost Space thing and apparently season three of discovery is also doing a, another lost in space thing but i don't fucking care quiet we're doing it better this is ours yes and hey most of the problems people have with discovery come down to whether or not they like the characters so yeah guess that's about it all right in that case podcasters log stardate one seven twenty one we found ourselves encountering a distant friendship promo. The Crypto Naturalist podcast has been described as Bob Ross crossed with Welcome to Night Vale and David Attenborough meets the X-Files. I would describe it as a loving look at nature. Just, well, nature I can guarantee you've never heard before. The show features strange creatures in unusual locations guest poetry and fiction, and field reports voiced by people like Adel Refai and Justin McElroy. Find The Crypto Naturalist anywhere you find podcasts or at CryptoNaturalist.com. And we're back. Lindsay, uh, which quadrant of the internet can we find you in? Well, I can be found on the uh, dark recesses of the uh, Twitter quadrant, at lindsaym476 that's lindsay spelled with an a and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there tanner where can people find you you can find me on twitter at sparky upstart and instagram at sparky young upstart you can also find this very podcast on twitter at n-i-i-r-y-f pod those are the letters for not if i be you first and they're pronounced come on 
Um, you can also email us at notifireboutyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and favorite Shakespeare quotes. That's where you can send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast, your YouTube, or even your DeviantArt. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised. If you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash first, where you can find bonuses. Currently, the main bonus is just getting episodes early. We are currently in the process of either working on bonus content or just figuring out a better way to restructure the Patreon because we found that we kind of, our content isn't necessarily conducive to Patreon bonus content, but we're working on that. Yeah. In the meantime, what we can do is we can give a thank you to any of the patrons that we have. So we'd like to thank Rem, Julia, Christina, Cassidy, and Charlie. Thank you all. That being said, we also know that there are plenty of other, way more important stuff going on right now. Holy shit, we're recording this on January 7th, and you know exactly why we're a little, ah! Yeah. And so basically, find mutual aid in your city, or in your state, in your province, wherever. Um, sign government petitions to declare people like the Proud Boys and other white supremacist groups terrorists. Uh, and keep remembering to wear a mask, wash your hands, donate to food banks and shelters. Um, what's some other big stuff? Did you, you, at this point, you should know to donate when you can to places that you recognize. Personal GoFundMes are always a good thing. Just, just stay safe, really. Yeah. Stay safe. Help each other out. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it is, as for us, it is just as helpful to support us by leaving a rating and review of us on your podcatcher of choice. If you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Not if I reboot you first is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows we shared the network with at CornerPodNet on Twitter. And last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex aka Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay, next week we have a guest coming on. Yay! And their hint is the warriors of light we need, not the ones we deserve. So, I guess we'll shed some light eh, on that subject next week. Uh, but not if we reboot you first. Bye!